European Heart Journal Issue at a Glance, Volume 44, Issue 7. Focus Issue, Epidemiology, Prevention and Healthcare Policies, by Editor-in-Chief, Professor Filippo Crea, read to you by Morgan Bryan. New Facets of Prevention, Diet Assessment, Childhood Adversity, Influenza Vaccination and Guideline Implementation. This issue contains the last two contributions from our top 10 article series. In The Year in Cardiovascular Medicine 2022, the top 10 papers in valvular heart disease. Editors Helmut Baumgartner, Bernard Jung and David Messika Zeitung discuss contributions published last year that may influence future research and the management of valvular heart disease patients. In the Year in Cardiovascular Medicine 2022, the top 10 papers in cardiovascular imaging, European Heart Journal editors Chiara Bucciarelli-Ducci and Nina Aimon-Marsen do the same thing for imaging. The contribution continues with a focus on epidemiology prevention and healthcare policies. A healthy diet plays a key role in cardiovascular prevention. Observational studies of diet in cardiometabolic diseases, or CMDs, typically focus on self-reported consumption of food or dietary patterns, with limited information on individual metabolic responses to dietary intake linked to CMDs. In a clinical research article entitled Dietary Metabolic Signatures and Cardiometabolic Risk, Ravi Shah and colleagues from the Vanderbilt Clinic and Translational Research Center, VTRACC, from Nashville, Tennessee, USA, use machine learning approaches to identify individual metabolic patterns related to diet and their relationship to long-term CMDs in early adulthood. In 2,259 white and black adults in the Coronary Artery Risk Development in Young Adults, or CARDIA study, Multivariate models were employed to identify metabolite signatures of food group and composite dietary intake across 17 food groups, two nutrient groups, and Healthy Eating Index 2015, or HEI 2015, diet quality score. A broad array of metabolites associated with diet were uncovered, reflecting food-related components stroke catabolites, e.g. fish and long-chain unsaturated triacylglycerols, interaction with host features, microbiome, or pathways broadly implicated in CMDs, e.g. ceramide stroke sphingomyelin lipid metabolism. To integrate diet with metabolism, penalized machine learning models were used to define a metabolite signature linked to a putative CMD adverse diet, e.g. high in red stroke processed meat, refined grains, which was subsequently associated with long-term diabetes and cardiovascular disease, or CVD, risk, numerically more strongly than HEI 2015 in cardia. E.g. diabetes, standardized hazard ratio, or HR, 1.62, P being less than 0.0001, CVD, HR, 1.55, P equaling 0.008, with associations replicated for diabetes being less than 0.0001 in the Framingham Heart Study. 
The authors conclude that metabolic signatures of diet are associated with long-term CMDs independent of lifestyle and traditional risk factors. Metabolomics improves precision to identify adverse consequences and pathways of diet-related CMDs. The contribution is accompanied by an editorial by Andrew Mente, Philip Britz McKibben and Salim Youssef from McMaster's University in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. The authors conclude that observational studies using food questionnaires and new methods need to be complemented by controlled feeding studies to identify food-based metabolic biomarkers linked to CMDs. Such an approach is likely to advance our understanding of diet and CMDs and has the potential to identify new avenues for prevention of CMCVD and other conditions. CMDs, including diabetes, heart disease and stroke, are established risk factors for dementia, but their combined impact has been investigated only recently. In a clinical research article entitled Cardiometabolic Multimorbidity and Incident Dementia, the Swedish Twin Registry, Abigail Dove and colleagues from the Karolinska Institutet in Solna, Sweden, aimed to examine the association between mid- and late-life cardiometabolic multimorbidity and dementia and explore the role of genetic background in this association. Within the Swedish Twin Registry, 17,913 dementia-free individuals aged greater than or equal to 60 years were followed for 18 years. CMD and dementia were ascertained from medical records. Cardiometabolic multimorbidity was defined as having one or more CMDs. Cox regression was used to estimate the CMD-dementia association in one, a classical cohort study design, and two, a co-twin study design involving 356 monozygotic and dizygotic pairs. By comparing the strength of the association in the two designs, the contribution of genetic background was estimated. At baseline, 18.5% of participants had one CMD and 4.7% had greater than or equal to two CMDs. Over the follow-up period, 3,020 participants developed dementia. In the classic cohort design, the HR of dementia was 1.42 for one CMD and 2.10 for greater than or equal to two CMDs. Dementia risk was stronger with midlife as opposed to late-life CMD. In the co-twin design, the CMD dementia association was attenuated among monozygotic but not dizygotic twins, suggesting the association was in part due to genetic factors common to both CMDs and dementia. Dove et al. conclude that cardiometabolic multimorbidity, particularly in midlife, is associated with an increased risk of dementia. Genetic background may underpin this association. The manuscript is accompanied by an editorial by Gian Paolo Fadini and Mario Luca Morieri from the University of Padova in Italy. Fadini and Morieri conclude that deciphering dementia in the cardiometabolic continuum remains a challenge, but we are now understanding better the relative contribution of genetic and environmental drivers. Still, much has to be done to unravel how the cardiometabolic renal network operates on top of our genetics and interacts with established, as well as newly recognised, environmental pressures.
hitherto neglected in such a continuum, dementia is earning a prominent role and, due to population ageing, will deserve more attention by the cardiology community even as an outcome of cardiometabolic interventions. While the role of traditional risk factors in the development of CVD is well established, the role of psychological stress is more debated. In a clinical research article entitled Childhood Adversity and Cardiovascular Disease in Early Adulthood, a Danish cohort study, Jessica Bingson and colleagues from the University of Copenhagen in Denmark examine the effects of childhood adversity on the development of CVD, specifically focusing on ischemic heart disease and cerebrovascular disease. Registered data on all children born in Denmark between 1st of January 1980 and 31st of December 2001, who were alive and resident in Denmark without a diagnosis of CVD or congenital heart disease until age 16, were used, totaling 1,263,013 individuals. Cox Proportional Hazards and Arlen Additive Hazards models were used to estimate adjusted HRs and adjusted hazard differences of CVD from ages 16 to 38 in five trajectory groups of adversity, experienced between ages 0 and 15. In total, 4,118 individuals developed CVD between their 16th birthday and the 31st of December 2018. Compared with those who experienced low levels of adversity, those who experienced severe somatic illness and death in the family, men adjusted HR 1.6, women 1.4, and those who experienced very high risks of adversity across childhood and adolescence, men 1.6, women 1.6, had a higher risk of developing CVD, corresponding to 10 to 18 extra cases of CVD per 100,000 person years in these groups. Bengtsson et al. conclude that individuals who have been exposed to childhood adversity are at higher risk of developing CVD in young adulthood compared with individuals with low adversity exposure. This manuscript is accompanied by an editorial by Adrian Kovacs and colleagues from Equilibria Psychological Health in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. They agree with the conclusion of Bengtsson and colleagues that interventions targeting the social origins of adversity and providing support for affected families may have long-term cardioprotective effects, and with the recommendation for upstream structural interventions, including income supplementation and better support of families affected by severe illness or death. They note, however, that the implementation of such strategies is certainly complex. This involves changes at multiple levels, as well as changes in upstream health policies that impact population-level outcomes. The author's work further prompts calls for efforts to rethink the old-fashioned mantra of over-reliance on individual lifestyle modification and consider new models of CVD risk factors to reduce disease burden. In a clinical research article entitled Applicability of European Society of Cardiology Guidelines According to Gross National Income. Wouter van Dijk and colleagues from the University Medical Center Utrecht in the Netherlands assess the feasibility of complying with the recommended actions of European Society of Cardiology or ESC guidelines and how compliance relates to the country's income level. 
All recommendations from seven ESC guidelines on general cardiology areas were extracted and labelled on recommended actions. A survey was sent to all 102 ESC national and affiliated cardiac societies, or NCSs. Respondents were asked to score recommended actions on their availability in clinical practice on a four-point Likert scale. Fully available, mostly stroke often available, mostly stroke often unavailable and fully unavailable and select the top three barriers perceived as being responsible for limiting their national availability. Applicability was assessed overall per World Bank Gross National Income or GNI level and per guideline. A total of 875 guideline recommendations on general cardiology were extracted. Responses were received from 64 of the 102 NCSs. On average, 72% of the actions were fully available, 9.9% mostly stroke often available, 6.7% mostly stroke often unavailable, and 11.8%, 95% confidence interval or CI, 9.5 to 14.1, fully unavailable. In low-income countries or LICs, Substantially more actions were fully unavailable, 29.4%, compared with high-income countries, or HICs, 2.4%, P being less than 0.05. Actions were most often not available due to lack of reimbursement and other financial barriers. The authors conclude that local implementation of ESC guidelines on general cardiology is high in HICs and low in LICs, being inversely correlated with country GNI. The contribution is accompanied by an editorial by Oyere Onuma from the Yale University School of Medicine in New Haven, Connecticut, USA. Onuma concludes that the impact of clinical practice guidelines in improving the quality of cardiovascular care is incontrovertible. It is time to extend these gains to LMICs through the collaborative, thoughtful and systematic adaption and implementation of guideline documents from HICs to the local context. This approach ensures the availability and use of evidence-based, culturally appropriate, cost-effective and affordable guidelines to improve patient care and cardiovascular outcomes. Previous studies have shown the benefit of influenza vaccination in secondary prevention while their benefit is less established in primary prevention. In a clinical research article entitled Primary Prevention of Acute Cardiovascular Events by Influenza Vaccination, an Observational Study, Jennifer Davidson and colleagues from the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine in the United Kingdom examined this matter. The study used linked Clinical Practice Research Data Link Hospital Episode Statistics Admitted Patient Care and Office for National Statistics Mortality Data from England between the 1st of September 2008 and the 31st of August 2019. From the data, individuals aged 40 to 84 years with a first acute cardiovascular event and influenza vaccination occurring within 12 months of each September were selected. Using a self-controlled case series analysis, Season-adjusted cardiovascular risk stratified incident ratios, or IRs, for cardiovascular events after vaccination 
compared with baseline time before and greater than 120 days after vaccination were generated. A total of 193,900 individuals with a first acute cardiovascular event and influenza vaccination were included. In the main analysis, acute cardiovascular event risk was significantly reduced in the 15 to 28 days after vaccination, IR 0.72, and, while the effect size tapered, remained reduced to 91 to 120 days after vaccination, 0.83. Reduced cardiovascular events were seen after vaccination among individuals of all age groups and with raised and low cardiovascular risk. The authors conclude that an influenza vaccine may offer cardiovascular benefit among individuals at varying cardiovascular risk. Further studies are needed to characterize the populations that could derive the most cardiovascular benefit from vaccinations. The manuscript is accompanied by an editorial by Olli Frubert and colleagues from Aarhus University in Denmark. Frubert et al. point out that there is still work to be done. The hypothetical pleiotropic effects of influenza vaccine in CVD should be confirmed in a placebo-controlled randomized trial in patients hospitalized with a cardiovascular event outside of the influenza season, at a time of year when no current recommendations hinder conduct of a trial. Frubert et al. state that it is not known if it is advisable to repeat influenza vaccination in a patient hospitalized with CVD who has already received the seasonal vaccine. Is there a booster effect on the scale of that seen with the COVID-19 vaccine? Also, the role of a high-dose influenza vaccine and that of new vaccine platforms, including mRNA-based vaccines, needs to be evaluated in clinical trials for clinical outcomes to improve the evidence base and public perception. Notwithstanding, the influenza vaccine is probably one of the best shots we have at combating CVD. It should be implemented with the same effort as other standards of care. The issue is also complemented by two discussion forum contributions. In a commentary entitled, Lipoprotein A and Progression of Aortic Valve Calcification, a case of collider bias, Michael Levin and Scott Damrauer from the University of Pennsylvania Perlman School of Medicine in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, USA, Comment on the recent publication, lipoprotein A is associated with the onset, but not the progression, of aortic valve calcification, by Yannick Kaiser from the University Medical Center Rotterdam in the Netherlands. Kaiser et al. respond in a separate comment. The editors hope that this issue of the European Heart Journal will be of interest to its listeners.